This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 436. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I am joined today by Matthew Marister. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Uh, we've got a good crowd checking in on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, for those of you that uh, are able to watch us live, well, we generally record these live on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We shoot for noon mountain time, but today we're coming to you a little bit late because some conflicts in the schedule. Actually, originally it was going to be me and Jacob on the po- on the podcast today, uh, but that was before I knew that he was taken off uh, early today and had some some family commitments so we had to press on matthew and say hey dude you got you're up and he's (laughs) like well i i got stuff to do and things going on (laughs) yeah but you know i wanted to wanted to get in here but i'm the backup so i gotta be ready right (laughs) you're kind of more the the main guy uh with jacob being the backup as of late anyway that's all right. Um, okay, so today's episode is our industry news and gear reviews. Uh, we were a little bit off schedule too with this because we've shift, sh- shifted, shuffled. I was going to say shifted that that you know mix of the two words, but that wouldn't have made sense. So we shuffled around the schedule a little bit. So we are just now on the, almost the last day of the month, getting around to the news and gear reviews. Matthew and I have a couple of cool products to share with you and review. And then we have a bunch of industry news stories we'll share as well. So it'll be a fun time. But today's episode sponsors are Range Tech Bluetooth Shot Timer. This is, it's my shot timer. <laughs> well, frankly, we, we build them. I build them. Uh, we sell them. And it, that's a, it's a sub brand of, of concealedcarry.com, which we are proud to have. Uh, I love the Range Tech Shot Timer. So just was using it yesterday. In fact, I'll talk some more about that here towards later in the episode when I'm doing my product review because uh, it comes comes into the picture. But Range Tech Shot Timer, uh, little shot timer box together with the Range Tech Shot Timer app, which is free to download, of course. You just buy the little shot timer box. It connects to your phone via Bluetooth. And whammo, you have the most sophisticated, capable, most upgradable powerful shot timer on the market in the palm of your hand and in your mobile device. Uh, that's really what it's all about. So the application runs the shot timer from your mobile device. The shot timer captures the shot time or the shot data, you know, the actual sounds, the, the impulse of the shot and provides the beep. So yeah, you've got, a sh- you've got one, don't you, Matthew? I do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. One of yeah. the uh, original ones, but yeah, what, what what's cool is is that I know there are apps that are shot timer apps, and I used one for a while um, before actually buying an, a, a, sh- a dedicated shot timer. But I don't know about you guys if if you've ever used one, Riley. But it always seemed like it like I would be trying to do something, and then I get a text message or a call, and it kicked me out of the app, and it was just it was a mess. So while, while they might work for certain circumstances, they weren't really uh, enough to be re- reliable where I could. You know, I needed a dedicated one. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, 
Um, here's the thing. I was at an indoor range yesterday evening. Uh, wanted to put some things through its paces. Actually, I shot a couple of new guns. Um, I'm going to keep some of them quiet, what they are. But I will talk about one of them later here in the episode. But I had shooters on the on both lanes on either side of me. So this guy over here on my left is shooting whatever. The guy on the right at one point was shooting an AR, which is really loud, you know, next to him on an indoor range. Here's what's crazy. I just adjusted the sensitivity on the shot timer, on the range tech shot timer, to where it stopped picking up my neighboring or my my neighbor's shots. And it would only pick up mine on an indoor range. See, that's how awesome it is. So rangetechshottimer. Or actually, it's rangetechtimer.com is where you can go to pick up your very own Range Tech Bluetooth shot timer. So do it. Today's episode also brought to you by our Tactical Vehicle Loadout Kit, available in the concealedcarry.com store. And uh, the link's in the show notes. That's all I'm going to say. I don't have like a shortcut link for it other than I could say it's concealedcarry.com forward slash product forward slash tactical dash vehicle dash loadout dash kit. <laughs> That's why I try to get short links, but we didn't get one for this one here today. So check the show notes uh, for the for the link. And uh, if you're looking for a cost-effective tactical ve- vehicle loadout kit, meaning you get a, a seat back panel with Molly, a bunch of different uh, bags. There's a... Uh, uh, what we call the Harrier Molly Tactical Pouch. It's a great little organizer pouch. The Kestrel Molly Tactical Pouch, which is uh, it's just a nice little medium-sized pouch. Comes with also with the Prairie Molly Pouch, which is a smaller pouch for some of your smaller items. A couple of Molly Carabiners, and then also a Tactical Molly Vehicle Visor Organizer. That's a mouthful. <laughs> uh, 120 bucks. It's a great deal, guys. So check out the tactical vehicle loadout kit on concealedcarry.com. And according to Mark, the kit also holds wine. Well, imagine that. <laughs> I didn't know. I don't drink wine, so. <laughs> but it, I can't. I don't see why not. <laughs> Grape juice. Yeah. Well, I, I've got some water here with me today. Good. Mm. <laughs> Got to have a sip. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, First up, this is actually our saddest story of the day. Uh, This was just a couple days ago. Uh, I saw this uh, hit the news wire and was disappointed to hear because he wasn't an old guy necessarily. And he's someone that uh, I was rather fond of because in my early days of kind of exploration, if you will, in the gun industry, his website was one that I found myself on many times. Mm-hmm. That is the founder and curator of and creator of gunblast.com, Jeff Quinn, passed away on July 27th, age of 61. Uh, Jeff uh, was a pioneer in this industry. It's one of the earliest websites that existed out there that, that y- y- we're so used to seeing these organic, you know, these, these, individual content creators that whether it's a YouTube channel or a website, a blog that they create, that's commonplace. Now, back when Jeff did this, when Mr. Quinn created his website and started doing all his gun reviews and all that stuff, there was very little of that. 
And so his was, it was one of my go-to places to learn about different guns and see reviews about guns. And, and, uh, he's, he was just a really cool guy down to earth. I, I bumped into him once. I, I didn't really get a proper introduction, but just got to say hello and kind of a nod of the head and knew who he was. He had no idea who I was, but, uh, you know, I could just tell he was a down to earth, humble gentleman. Uh, when that seems to be what I hear from others that knew him as well. So uh, rest in peace, Mr. Quinn. Uh, we wish you the best uh, and uh, your family and, and all that. Yep, absolutely. Did you ever uh, read his content or video, it, Matthew? You know, I, it, when, when I first heard the, sto- uh, the story, somebody mentioned it, and I was like, I don't know who that guy is. But then when I looked at it, I recognized his face from like some videos, you know, um, but I never, I didn't, you know, I wasn't a, a fan where I like knew his name or followed his content much, but I, I recognize him immediately. He's got that beard and like, kind of comes down like two little kind of like yeah. grades. And, and so if you're thinking of that guy, that's the guy, uh, Jeff Quinn. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, sad day, but, uh, such is life, you know, uh, Another interesting little tidbit. I think it was just yesterday that I saw that Herman Cain passed away from yeah. COVID. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd seen in the news he was sick with that a while back, and apparently he lost that fight, and that's uh, that's too bad as well. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, I, actually, that whole election season, you know, where he was one of the candidates in the primaries was was pretty interesting. And, you know, he had some good stuff to say. Mm-hmm. He was a patriot, that's for sure. Uh, just like Jeff Quinn was a true patriot. On to our next story. Remington, America's oldest gun maker, files for bankruptcy as firearm sales soar. The irony. Yeah, again. Huh? <laughs> but, you know, this is one of America's oldest gun manufacturers. And I swear, in fact, I, it's because I know, just a couple of years ago, maybe, we talked about Remington on the podcast about filing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And here, two years later, they're doing it again. Yeah, yeah. And it's ironic because gun sales are we're we're setting new sales records every month right now since the beginning of this whole COVID and and all these riots and protests started. And yet Remington can't seem to quite dig themselves out of a hole. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, and uh, in, in the the article goes into it in kind of in depth, but. They make a pretty good point is that like uh, Remington is mostly known for their shotguns and hunting rifles. And those probably aren't the, the guns that are being bought up in, you know, in, in record numbers. Um, and so that could be why they're not experiencing any any positive, uh, out, you know, uh, money revenue from from all the, the gun sales. But. You know, it's crazy because when you go through here, uh, through the article, it tells, you know, about how much um, uh, debt they have and and how they're just so in debt um, that they can't get out of it. And they tried it. It says even they tried selling it to uh, one of the one of a a Native American tribe um, was going to buy it. Navajo tribe. Um, and that fell through. So that probably was kind of the tipping point where it's probably a good thing though. Okay. Cause I, I was following some of that news and, and I don't think that would have been good. Yeah. You know, no bankruptcy is not good either, but, but 
chapter 11 is something that, you know, businesses declare and it's a process and they go through and, and they can emerge on the other side, you know, as a, a leaner company with, with less debt right. hanging over them. Um, yeah. So you, you're right though. I mean, you know, where their bread and butter is the bolt action rifles and, and pump action shotguns, generally speaking, uh, not probably the biggest movers in recent months. Shotguns, I think have been, been doing pretty well, but, uh, but really where, where it's at is handguns mm-hmm. and semi-automatic rifles and they don't really do a whole lot of that. I mean, they, they do have their, um, what is the RP 45 or whatever. And the, right. There's that, um, R 31, I think is the other, that little nine millimeter. But the fact that you don't even know the name of the guns, right. Shows the, the, you know, I, I've looked at them, I've held them, I've, I've pulled triggers on them and they underwhelm me. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but th- I'm a gun guy and I go, eh, there's cooler stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. It, yeah. It, and it's a, you know, it's a shame cause you don't, you don't want to see something like that happen to any, any, you know, company, their American company been, been around a long time, but dude, you got to you got to keep up with the times, I guess. Right. And it's, you got to give the, the consumer what they want. Yeah. Yep. Well, we'll see what happens with Remington. Uh, I, I can't imagine they go, you know, completely away. Uh, again, the purpose of chapter, chapter 11 is to restructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll just, we'll see what happens. Right. All right. Remington. And I'll tell you, I think it's, I think it's Travis Tomasi who's a sponsored shooter with them, running one of their um, double stack 1911s or 2011s. Which, by the way, those ones are actually pretty nice. I've mm-hmm. checked out those pistols, and they're pretty nice. But again, nobody knows really about them. Nobody's really paying attention to Remington on that stuff. But Travis Tomasi, what a great humble dude great shooter uh wor- world champion shooter and uh well i well actually i know for a fact he won uspsa national so at least national champion shooter so uh, yeah good luck to everyone over there remington and and uh hopefully they emerge stronger and better for it uh, it's one of the challenges you know we see we see this with a few other companies too that have been struggling in recent years uh it seems to be more the companies that they get bought up and owned by some of these large conglomerates. And I think that's just a recipe for disaster in the gun industry. I just, I just don't, I don't with, with the, with as politicized as guns are in the matter of gun control and all of that, you start getting a lot of hands in that, in that pot. Oops. Sorry. I bumped my mic there. Uh, Too many cooks in the kitchen and it gets really messy. Yeah. Speaking of another big company, mm. Glock, been hit with a class action lawsuit. Says here over an alleged unsupported chamber defect in certain of their pistols. Matthew, give us a rundown on this one. Yeah, so this was kind of this caught me off guard, or I wasn't expecting this because it covers almost dang near all Glock pistols. I'm trying to go through here and see. 
Uh, it doesn't seem the 19 is probably one that jumps off the list. Um, but it, it basically covers almost all the, the, the pistols that Glock create, uh, sells. Um, and so there, the, 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 um, suit alleges that the Glock knows that there's a problem with an unsupported chamber where, um, it's possible that, um, it, it causes undue or inappropriate, or I, I don't know how the right word, but, um, the pressure to it, during the combustion inside that, that, uh, cartridge to kind of blow out, um, instead of containing the pressure and pushing it forward, it can come back into, um, rearward rearwardly and cause a, a, a catastrophic failure, uh, injuring the person potentially. Right. And so they're saying that Glock knows this, they've been continuing to put out guns like this, knowing that there's a, a potential for this to happen. And so they're saying, uh, you know, that they're suing them. Um, and then, uh, so obviously Glock says, no, that's not, that's not accurate. You're mischaracterizing, uh, the firearm. And so here we are. Yeah. I mean, so this is, this is not news. Okay. Anybody that's known or follow Glock since basically it's inception, uh, this has been a topic of discussion and the idea is about unsupported chamber, right? Where if you look at, if you, for instance, if you take out a Glock barrel and you drop a casing into it, and you look at the bottom side, you know, like where the feed ramp is, and perhaps more than some other manufacturers out there, you see more of that casing exposed where that feed ramp is, where it's less supported. And so, but again, Glocks have been around a long time. Many, many millions of rounds have been fired through them, and most of the time trouble-free. But every once in a while, you get a kaboom, right, where it blows up. And it's not so much that the – a lot of times people think of a kaboom as being like the barrel blows up and, you know, that sort of thing. This is more that the case ruptures uh, in, in that lower section there, and all that pressure goes down and outward. Uh, it usually blows out the magazine, uh, and, and quite often cracks the frame and things right above and, and near the trigger guard uh, where the uh, the frame pins are located. It usually will crack right through there and kind of blow things out. So uh, it happens. You know what? Glock's not alone in this. Uh, similar types of kabooms, <laughs> it's a super technical term, uh, happen in, in a variety of other gun manufacturers, semi-automatic uh, striker-fired pistols in particular. Um, but, uh, and, and where it's going to be more of a potential problem is with higher pressure cartridges, such as 40, 10 millimeter, especially. And if you got, and especially it could be more of an issue if you're a reloader, typically we don't see a lot of wear and tear on brass cases, uh, that are, you know, pistol straight walled cases, but in those higher pressure grounds, they can wear them out quite a bit quicker over time where you weaken uh, kind of the, the base of the case, right, and blow it out. And whereas the chamber is less supported on, the, on these Glocks, at least this is what they're, what they're claiming, then we, lead, we get kabooms. So 
class class action lawsuit because they're saying this has been known for a long time. Agreed. It's this has been a, like I said a topic of discussion for as long as I've been paying attention in this industry for twenty plus years. I've I've heard talk of unsupported chambers. Uh, specifically, we're talking about forty ten millimeter and. 45 AC, some 45 ACP guns like uh, the Glock 30, for instance. Uh, I think the Glock 36 is listed as well, but most of these are the 40 and 10 millimeter uh, versions, and probably some 357 SIG as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, you know, class action, you know, means they're 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 looking for participants, looking for more people to chime in and say, "Yep, that's me. Yep, that happened to me. Had my gun blown up." had my hand, you know, injured or whatever as a result of this and looking for people to sign on to that. And uh, this could be a very large lawsuit against Glock. I don't know how far or how deep this is going to go. But, uh, you know, on the one hand, we, you know, sometimes people try to find issues where there's none. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not the expert in this regard. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, right? Like it just brings up an interesting topic or or whatnot, because we'll talk about um, reliability in guns, right? And oftentimes when people will say, well, my gun is really reliable and you ask them why. And this is a topic for another uh, another uh, podcast, but just kind of get you guys thinking is 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 it anecdotal that, hey, I've never had an issue or is it across the board where um you know, you know that there are issues, but the, the the number of issues are so, you know, minor that the probability of it happening to you is, is really, you know, it's that question. And I think we all know that, you know, a firearm is, is a mechanical device, right? It's, 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 and it has tolerances in it and it, you know, you can't always, there's a lot of variables in the type of ammunition and, and everything. So um, I think, I, I think the question is, is, is this something that is overtly dangerous or something that is out of the natural understanding that I'm, I'm shooting a gun and it could potentially fail, even, even if it's not a Glock, a 1911, whatever it might be. And is this, you know, one of those things where, it, it, you know, this is unacceptable or it's, is this something that because it happens so rarely, um, that it's just kind of part and parcel of shooting rounds and, and shooting guns. I don't know. Yeah. My sense is that this is going to be a challenging case to outright win. Now perhaps Glock will settle in some fashion um, just to try to make, you know, appease the masses and get it to go away. But I suspect that Glock has a number of very highly paid engineers with a lot of data to, to point to and say, you know, here's the engineering and this is why this is not the problem that people make it out to be. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So, and to Mark's question here, you know, wait, Glocks are bad. And, and uh, I, I have no problem with shooting or running a Glock. Now I don't run any forties or 10 mil or 45 Glocks. Uh, just don't care to, don't feel like I need to. Um, and, and again, the, the nine millimeter Glocks from what I'm seeing, just looking over the list, they're, they're not included in this, right? It's less of an issue there. 
All right. Uh, you can also see you've got the links in the show notes. You can actually read the 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 official uh, uh, complaint uh, that was filed. All right. So here we go. On to foxnews.com, U.S. banks and financial institutions have been slowly severing ties with the gun industry. I don't know. We need to spend a ton of time on this. It's something we've talked about, touched on a number of times in the podcast in the past. It's well known to most of you probably watching or listening. But more and more, there, there are more enemies to the gun industry out there, particularly in the financial institutions, um, trying to, you know, it, it, they're basically trying to create gun control without having to go through a legislative process to do so. And it's a shame and it's a sham because it's a legal law abiding, you know, industry and, and people, um, there's no reason why this industry should be under attack. And, and according to some people and some financial institutions, that's exactly what it is. They'd love to see the gun industry go away. And so they're trying hard to do that. So, I mean, Matthew, you can, you can run away with this if you'd like, uh, if you want to go in a little deeper into the article, uh, folks can read it in the show notes. Again, it's a topic we've talked about a number of times, but uh, I don't know what, what, what uh, input do you have? Yeah, the only thing I would add that maybe we haven't covered in, in our, you know, other times that we've kind of touched on this is that um, it, it, there, there's always people that will say, well, just don't use, the, you know, their services or uh, use cash only or whatnot. But we're talking about companies that have to process credit cards and can't yeah. do that. Um, or, you know, people that actually have credit cards um, from a bank, that's where they do all their banking, and they go to use the credit card. And because it is on their naughty list, because you're buying, I don't know, it comes up as Glock store or whatever it might be. And that triggers some dude at, you know, Citibank to say, hold up, hold up, we can't do this. And so um, these are the, you know, this is, this is the problem is that you don't really know what is allowed, what is not. It's not totally overtly out there. I mean, the, the statement from PayPal, this, this, in, in, this is in the article from 2011. This is a CEO from PayPal. He says, if you're going to have a consistent set of values that you stand up for, they have to be reflected in your acceptable use policy. He's the He's a chief executive. Um, companies, by extension, their management teams and their CEOs have a moral obligation to try to be a force for good. So, you know, they believe that they're doing good by not allowing people to buy certain things or use certain products um, associated with firearms, not understanding that police often have buy their own gear. They might have a duty pistol, but they may be able to buy their own pistol or their own holster or uh, defensive knife or whatever it might be. And these companies are saying, we have a moral obligation to be a force of good and, and stop this. And then you have, you know, I'm a small business by, you know, uh, training business, right? And when I, when I get payment, I have to use Square or PayPal or Stripe or one of these things and um, not knowing their policy or having them switch back and forth. And all of a sudden they freeze a customer's account and I can't get the money or I can't use. So it's, it's, it's really a, like a diabolical way of, of controlling the population, um, what they can and can. One of my biggest concerns is is that it, the thing you just mentioned, where it's been known, like in the case of PayPal, even 
where they have suddenly frozen certain companies' PayPal accounts and won't allow them to refund, won't allow them to deposit, won't allow them to do anything. It's just frozen. Meanwhile, you have a customer that expects goods to be delivered and you don't have the money to deliver those goods with. And you can't then just turn around and refund because PayPal's frozen it. Right. Insane. I don't even know how this how this is legal uh, sometimes. Um, one of the stories that was featured in this Fox News article that was kind of sh- surprising, even shocking to me, was a gentleman that doesn't doesn't sell anything guns. Uh, you know, he doesn't sell guns or or parts or kits or accessories or anything like that. But he was just selling like patches or something, right. and all of a sudden PayPal froze his account. You know, that's crazy to me. Uh, there's also, there was legislation introduced uh, in the uh, House last year, late last year. It's called the Gun Violence Prevention Through Financial Intelligence Act. Now, it went nowhere, okay? But it's, well, other than it's it's sitting there somewhere, you know, this this sort of thing can always come back. And it gives you a sense of where their minds are on, on certain things and where they want to try to go next. And this bill was pushing for banks and credit card companies to automatically provide transaction data to the federal authorities on some firearms purchases with the goal of identifying suspicious activity. How how do we determine from purchases from financial data what is suspicious and not? That just sounds like a really a Pandora's box of problems. Uh, for people, you know, making most likely lawful purchases of a legal product in a country with something called the Second Amendment. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, and, and think about it, it, you know, and I, I, I mention it often, like the shoe on the other foot. I mean, imagine that this was, I don't know, um, instead of guns, it's, um, I don't know, uh, sporting equipment. Or something like they don't want you to be able to purchase, um, you know, a a Bible or something like that, right? Like it it could be anything that they believe in their heart that they're going to be a force for good and that we're going to outlaw said product, but not legislatively, but by putting so much pressure on these companies um, and and refusing to allow anybody to bank, to buy, to do whatever. I mean, uh, it's ludicrous. Yeah. Yep. All right, let's move on now to, I think this is our final story. Uh, Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, all right. Sorry, I got confused there. What was on my screen? Uh, U.S. Law Shield published a nice little article of sorts. Not really so much an article, but uh, just kind of almost like a QA and a even. But they have a big chart, a, a map of the United States. And what it is, is the title of this is mandatory mask orders. Can you still carry in your state? And I know we just had this discussion on Tuesday's episode and we even had some input from folks or, or I, well, actually I know it came up in the uh, Guardian Nation live broadcast Tuesday night that we did with attorney Don West. And I know Mark, Okniansky, who's watching the podcast here today, uh, did some digging as well, especially for the because uh, he lives in California. So he did some digging on the uh, California side of things. But basically, according to this uh, U.S. Law Shield post, it would appear that you're 
you're pretty good to go, except for perhaps the state of Illinois and Washington, D.C. And it says any of these states that are, it shows a bunch of states that are green. They're, they're colored green. It says you're good. You know, nothing to worry about. You can wear a mask and you can carry a gun or carry concealed or whatever. Uh, there are some that are kind of a lighter color green, almost like a lime green. And uh, these ones say, yeah, that's probably okay. But, uh, you know, you want to maybe double check with some local type, you know, issues or restrictions. Um but also a lot of times, and this is really the crux of the issue for a lot of jurisdictions, is whether you are wearing a mask with the intent of concealing your identity so that you can commit and get away with a crime, or if you're just simply wearing that mask to comply with a public health order, right? Mm-hmm. So intent's a big one. And and that's where I think, you know, I I probably wouldn't worry about it too much. Because I think this is probably, especially if your statute has anything about intent to conceal one's identity, that's that's a really difficult thing to, to probably prove, unless you're actually committing a crime, right? Mm-hmm. And it's probably not worth prosecutors to go after you, or even for law enforcement to come after you, uh, because it's probably not going to go anywhere. Although, again, if you're in Illinois or Washington, D.C., uh, apparently you want to really be careful. All right. So don't, uh, I don't know. I, I heard some things from some people that there's some clarification that's being put out by certain agencies or jurisdictions in Illinois saying, no, it's, it's a public health order. You're good to go. But I don't think that's been clarified on a state level. So. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think this, this kind of, in this is why preemption law is so important. Um, things like this, right? Maybe not this exact law, but um, imagine, you know, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, city to city, um, you have one interpretation of the state um, law that says, hey, you can't wear it uh, if you're, you know, as long as you're not in your intent isn't to conceal your identity to commit a crime. In the other jurisdiction, you drive across the street and all of a sudden you're in a different city that doesn't have, you know, the same uh uh, law or interpretation of the law. So I think, you know, th- this is why we talk about um, national reciprocity and stuff. And I think it's important, right? But it, I would, I don't know if I'd say even more important, but as equally as important is to push for um, preemption, strong preemption law that actually is upheld, right? That is actually obeyed um, by the, the, the state um, legislators because, um you know, I, I think it's reasonable it, given this, you know, um, you know, you're wearing a mask because you're told to wear it. I mean, police officers, right? I'm, they must write an exemption in uh, for police officers because, if you know, you, you tell them to wear wear a mask and stuff. So I think there's some common sense, but you never know because today common sense doesn't seem really common uh, as far as how the law is applied sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, I, I, I was glad that they put this together because there was a lot of misinformation or confusion about this yep. uh, going around. So absolutely. Yep. Well, good. Well, that brings us to the conclusion of the news stories we're talking about today. So industry news is now concluded, but now we get to the gear reviews portion of the episode today. And Matthew, I'm going to have you go first. So what do you uh, have for us on the table in front of you? Right. 
So what I have, and let me pull this up. Okay, so I have uh, the Surefire Stiletto light here. Um, they have a the Pro. This is the OG model, and Riley has this one too. But uh, it's an awesome, uh, it's an awesome light from Surefire. It's about six hundred and fifty lumens, six six hundred six fifty. I'm not exactly sure, it's but around six, um, yeah. Um, but it's really thin. It's not round. So if you don't like having a light in your pocket that's round, this is slimmer. So it's it's kind of flat if you're you know not watching. But if you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can see it's flatter. Um, so it's nice. It sits in the pocket pretty nicely. It has a tail cap activation as well as a, a button on the top. It's USB uh, charged, so you don't have to worry about you know um, running out of battery. You just charge it up. Uh, it has a strobe and, and a nice little uh, clip. I, I like it a lot. Um, it comes in handy. I carry it every day. It's like, you know, um, and it typically, you know, in the morning time, if my if my daughter wakes up before me, this thing is lost because she's running around trying to <laughs> play with it. She likes it so much. But, um, but yeah, and I'll just mention that the Pro... A um, couple of things they beefed up the the lumens, and they made it so the the this um, clip can be reversed, so you can do you know either downward or upward uh, in your pocket. And the body is metal, which I haven't had an issue yet. Um, but Riley has said that you know you said that yours is cracked, but actually two of them are cracked in a sp the same spot. So that's probably obvious, or it's obviously a maybe a, a fault in the, uh, and that's why they went to the, uh, to the metal body instead of the plastic, but all overall, this is an awesome light. If you want like an administrative light, um, for, for looking around and, and, and everyday stuff. Um, yeah, I, I like it a lot. So surefire stiletto. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're correct. I've got two of them. And the reason I have two of them is that my original one, uh, cracked and it's, it's, it's developed two basically stress fractures um, in the plastic part of the housing, just below where the plastic meets the metal. Um, the, the you know the top portion here is metal, and uh, just a couple little like in one case one of them is a hairline fracture. The other side's a bit a little bit more, but you'll see it's still intact. And I haven't worried about it coming apart or being unusable. I mean the light still works perfectly fine. Um, but I mentioned the Surefire, and they sent me another one, and I thought I was good to go. I was keeping an eye on it, but uh, noticed just today when Matthew and I were talking in the pre-show that uh, this one's developed a crack in the same location. Um, beware, okay? So you might hear that and go, well, I don't know that I'm going to consider a Surefire stiletto. Um, I carry this in my front pants pocket, and it's right there kind of at the hinge of my hip, you know, it, that where things bend and move constantly. And, uh, you know, if you carry this somewhere other than that, it's probably going to be fine. I must be putting a lot of stress on it uh, just because of where I'm carrying it. Because I've talked to other people that haven't had the same issue. So it's probably a Riley problem uh, more than anything. Um, but uh, yeah, as you, as you noted, they've also released the Stiletto Pro, which is an all model all metal bodied light and that would certainly probably get rid of that this particular issue uh, although at the cost of it being a little bit beefier of a light um, but i'm interested in the surefire stiletto pro um, again happy with these just fine i'll still carry this one even though it's 
cracked in that one location. Um, but I might start looking at that pro model and, and maybe giving that a little, and it's bright. The pro is brighter too. So yeah. anyway, here's, here's my thing though, Matthew, is that this is my, this is an admin light for me. I mean, it's a backup defensive light, but this is really my, this is like an admin light because what I like about it is you have the button on the, on the top side, right? That you just, you, you click that and you could change the programming, but the default programming is I think 15 lumens or something is the low setting. And you click that button a, t- a second time and you get about half the lumens and you click it a third time and you get all lumens and it stays on. And then you have the tactical tail cap switch, which is mo- just momentary on and off. It's a very well-designed light in that regard. And I use it in an admin type capacity where I just use that 15 lumens for, you know, stumbling around in the dark or whatever. Works great. Um, and then I keep a second light that is dedicated for tactical purposes. So I know this thing has got good batteries that are freshly charged, fully charged all the time. So just a little insight into the mind of Riley. Yeah, I carry two lights. Some are going to think that's crazy and overkill. And at some point I probably will carry a pistol more often with a weapon mounted light. I don't know. Um, Okay. So good, good job, Matthew. Uh, Good review. It's a good product. I'm a fan. Here's my review. I just recently received back from Grey Guns my P320 X5 Legion uh, with some custom Grey Guns wizardry, I'm going to call it. Um, so earlier this year, I was honored. Uh, and I haven't really done an official announcement about this, but I just kind of started to, to say it a little bit more. But earlier this year, I was uh, invited uh, to join the Grey Guns shooting team. So uh, I'm, I was very honored by that, uh, to sit down with Bruce Gray and have him extend that offer and say that uh, he wanted me to be a part of the family. And I'm honored to, to represent them as a sponsored shooter. Uh, Gray Guns specializes in upgrades, triggers, and other things that make P320s and HK pistols awesome. That's that's really their specialty. Really, they're no, well known for their P320s, uh, the work they do for them. But uh, they also do some really cool stuff for HKs, like your P30, VP9, that kind of thing. Um, I sent in a 320 X5 Legion, basically brand new. It had been fired a little bit, but hardly, uh, to have them uh, upgrade this. And I'll just uh, give you an overview of what they did. First, they they put in their... Actually, I'll I'll come back to that. First of all, we did a tungsten grip module with their... They call it their grayscale laser sculpting. So this is a laser stippling job. They take the here's here's my other X5. This is the base tungsten grip module, okay, with the typical standard uh, stippling on it that every P320X series has. And you know what? The tungsten grip modules, by the way, are a little bit grippier than the non-tungsten ones. And I was really curious how that would come out with the laser sculpting on the tungsten grip module. And I'll tell you, it is grippy. This is really, really grippy, probably to the point that I wouldn't necessarily want this for a carry gun. But I'll tell you, I have their laser sculpting on my other P320s, on a couple of others, including I have here my... P365XL that has their same stippling there done on this. 
I would say this is almost perfect for a carry defensive gun. It gives a little bit more grip, including some additional stippling in areas that it doesn't come from the factory with, like up here on the XL. Um, this is on the standard polymer grip module. This stippling is excellent. It's a good mix of being sticky enough to hold on to, but not so aggressive to like rub your skin or your clothing raw or to snag on your clothing when you're concealed carrying. The laser sculpting grayscale on the tungsten is pretty aggressive, but you know what? That's what I wanted. And I was hoping for that because this is a competition pistol for me. And this is about as perfect as it could be. I mean, I, the only way this could be better and honestly, I don't think it could be better, but uh, the, the only thing that would probably equate to this would be doing a silicon carbide grip treatment, which is you're basically adhering uh, uh, sandpaper to the grip of the gun. Okay. That's the only way this could be any better, right? As far as grippier or whatever. So this, uh, that's the first thing I did. Okay. Really cool. It looks cool too. That pattern is super cool. It looks like dragon scales. Second thing they did, they put in their, uh, this is the super black recoil guide uh, rod along with their recoil spring. All right. Um, I don't remember all the specifics on it. I just know that it's better and more awesomer. Mm -hmm. right. And then also we did the Grey Guns adjustable hybrid trigger with their competition trigger kit and springs. Uh, so I, lately those that have been following me, I've been running straight triggers, but Bruce encouraged me to give the hybrid a try. And what they mean by hybrid is it's curved, but not as aggressively curved as your standard SIG uh, pistols typically come with the ones that have the curved trigger. So this is kind of a halfway between straight and curved after shooting it last night. I kind of like it. I'm going to keep playing with it. In fact, I'm going to shoot this thing in the Area 3 USPSA Championship this weekend. I'm not worried about it at all with this trigger. Uh, and I can tell you from, from experience last night shooting it, it was treating me just fine. Um, the uh, pressure that I feel in my fingers is a little bit different because of that curvature than, than as opposed to the straight uh, trigger. But uh, here's the thing. I have a gray guns competition trigger kit in my other pistol here. Okay. I installed that kit myself and it's good. Okay. Buying their, their, their trigger kit and installing it is going to make your pistol awesome. Sending your pistol into them and saying, Hey, give me the special, special kit. <laughs> Meaning uh, you guys install your competition trigger kit. If you're a competition gun, or you can go with a duty trigger kit so that you know you get a, a trigger that's appropriate for EDC or duty use. Okay, it'd be a little bit heavier, for instance. Um, the competition one is quite a bit lighter, and I'll tell you this thing: it, it compared to the one that I installed myself, this thing is super smooth. Very little take up, very, very, very little over travel. Uh, the brake is super clean, but. What's great throughout the whole stroke of the trigger is it's just nice, even pressure, smooth. There's no grittiness. There's no weird stacking. Uh, it's just straight up smooth. You, you do a little bit of take up, and then it's from there on, it just feels like it's the same, like all the way through. It's just a nice rolling trigger. It's really, 
oops, I just dropped something there. It's really easy to shoot with and control um, and shoot accurately. Uh, so to give you an idea, the this gun measured four and a half pounds trigger weight before it sent off to gray guns. It came back from them, averaging three and a quarter. Mm. That's substantial in the land of striker-fired pistols. That's a fantastic trigger for a striker-fired gun. I like it a lot. I pulled it out of the box. I pressed the trigger. I went, oh, <laughs> and then I went and shot it last night. Matthew, I, did you see my video, Matthew? I did. It seemed like you liked it. Your what, splits was I were rocking really, it? Your splits were pretty good, pretty decent. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I was running average 14 splits running a build drill. And a couple times hit 13 splits. Now, a couple of times I didn't record this on video, but just to see just how fast I could, you know, what 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 kind of my max speed was, I got a couple of 11s as well um, splits just to kind of see what was possible. I think I could probably eke out a 10 if I was to to play with it some more. Um, that's crazy, dude. I shot a 1.50 build drill, fastest ever I've ever done, and. I've run the same drill with this gun, my older X5 with the trigger that I installed. I can't run a 1.5, but I can with this bad boy. And here's the last little secret that Grey Guns puts into their guns when you have them install their trigger in your gun. I'm pretty much positive that somebody there, some little fairy or elf or somebody in the back back end of their workshop sprinkles a little gray guns magic fairy dust on it and it makes it even better so there you go sweet gray Very guns nice. grayguns.com uh and uh, that is g-r-a-y-g-u-n-s not g-r-e-y all right grayguns.com if you're if you have a p320 you want to make it more awesomer then I highly recommend them. Yes, I'm sponsored by them, but I'll tell you this much. I was already a, cons I've had this trigger in my gun for two years, two plus years, I think now, uh, and was already a, a fan myself of gray guns before they came to me and invited me to join the team. So, um, the, you know, I already knew there was good stuff and I'm even blown away more by this latest iteration, um, of, of triggers from them. So check them out. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. Yep. So that brings us to the end of the episode. Now, where we where we began talking about sponsors, uh, such as rangetechtimer.com. Well, speaking of that build drill at 1.50 that I shot last night uh, with the Grey Guns tricked out P320X5. Well, of course, I was using my range tech shot timer and those of you watching from home or wherever you are here's you know, here's a screenshot that i captured of that 1.50 build drill okay and it's just that's the app right there right that's that's the shot timer app uh it worked great i was in an indoor range with a lot of activity a lot of shooting going on from all around me and just the fact that I could dial in my sensitivity to be perfect for that environment and only capture my shots, that is awesome. All right. Yeah. There's not a lot of shot timers that you can do that with. Okay. There are others. There are others to be sure. Okay. I've done it with a couple others. But uh, 
but the range tech one works amazing. And I think it actually has more fine, you know, it has a greater uh, refinement of sensitivity adjustment. And that is really its power. Okay. Uh, particularly for that indoor range environment, but it's just so cool and it's easy. Like, it's great that I can just pull up a screenshot. Hey guys, check this out. Look what I did. You can't do that with your other shot timers. Right. And I can also hit the save button on these and save them to uh, an online cloud storage server. And I can go back and also review those saved times later on. So check out rangetechtimer.com to get your own range tech shot timer. I know you'll be happy with it. And the best thing of all is it's the lowest priced shot timer on the market. And it does so much for you. Yeah. And then finally, uh, we remind you of the the tactical vehicle uh, loadout kit available in the concealedcarry.com store. You guys can go check that out. If you're interested in kitting out your your truck, your car, your minivan, your scooter. <laughs> your Vespa. Yeah, your Vespa. Enough. Yeah, that, that'll work, right? Hang, <laughs> hang one of those Molly panels off the back of the Vespa with a bunch of pouches and, and an AR strapped on. <laughs> Um, cappuccino maker and (laughs) not saying it okay so apparently i'm getting a lot of you know people you know kind of making fun of me for having all these x5s i (laughs) I have two and it's very intentional you know because i'm becoming i'm getting very serious in my competition shooting and you got to have the main gun and then you have the backup gun all right because if one goes down right yeah, yeah, yeah. the backup. And by the way, the backup is actually going to turn around. It's going to go back to gray guns and it's going to get basically tricked out the same uh, or close to it. It might end up with a little bit different optic. Uh, I might put a, so the, the, you guys probably noticed that the, um, the newer X five has the Romeo three max on it, which by the way is awesome. Uh, I think just because of cost, and I am funding it myself, that this other one is going to get the Seymour RTS four or RTS two or whatever, the Seymour optic. That's pretty much the same optic as the Romeo three max, very similar. Uh, they mount to the same plate and that's, that's the bonus and they work about the same. So sorry, I did digressed, but yeah, you, if you got one X five, you got to have at least two. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many, I have too many P three twenties. I, I like them a lot. Well, all right, we should wrap it up. Yes, sir. Matthew, you're the man. I appreciate you having me. And uh, thanks to all the guys and gals for listening and giving great comments. So that was cool. Yeah. Appreciate it. Guys, let's give Matthew a round of applause because he it's him that compiles and puts together uh, <laughs> the, the stories that we talk about in the podcast, uh, the outline that we follow for the show. He does all that behind the scenes work. All right, so we have to let you know we appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. But, you know, we wouldn't be here if it weren't for awesome listeners and stuff you guys. Yeah, man. And you kind of froze on us there. That must mean it's time to be done. So with that, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.